Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Busy. Feels like a weird thing to say when no one's busy running around right now. Uh, This is the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and how people define happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and this week I'm talking to Mark LaRoust. Mark was the country director for Movember, the charity campaign, and he is now a speaker, a podcaster, uh, has a lot to say on living your values, living your authentic self, and um, it's just a really great thinker. Uh, so we talk about his journey with Movember, we talk about Instagram and marketing and putting yourself out there, lots of stuff like that. And I think this is a really good one for right now because it's... Um, I just I love the way Mark thinks. Very top line, strategic, thoughtful, and yeah, I think this is going to be a really good one. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Um, so just before we get into the episode, a couple of things I want to say. Firstly, Think Productive are still running free webinars to help people who are struggling working from home. So thinkproductive.com forward slash wfh if you want to hear about that. Uh, We're also running all of our regular workshops still and we're running them all on Zoom Uh, and actually on Zoom and also whatever other tech you use in your business if it's not Zoom. Um, So you can find more about that at thinkproductive.com. We've obviously seen a drop off in our own work. It's, you know, month by month, it's it's actually been surprisingly steady up till now, Um, but really, you know, starting to drop off at the moment. So, um, yeah, if you are interested in... Uh, productivity and helping your team then we can definitely help and we are poised to help so thinkproductive.com if you want to find out more about that Uh, also since the last one i released this blog post that i wrote a couple of weeks ago Uh, it's called tales from holland autism corona and all of us and it's just a set of thoughts around how my son who has autism has found the last few weeks very soothing and a really nice environment for growth, actually. Like, I'm really seeing his conversational skills coming on a lot. He seems really happy and relaxed and, you know, uh, free of a lot of the usual anxiety. Although there are definitely, obviously, some anxieties. There's a lot of stuff that he can't do that he would normally do. But, yeah, it had a huge response. I posted it on LinkedIn and also on Medium. And... um, yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but I'd love you to check that out. Let me know what you think. Um, it's just called Tales from Holland, Autism, Corona and All of Us. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes. You can also find it on Medium and LinkedIn. Yeah, go check that out. I'd really love to hear your thoughts on it. And the other thing is I've finally launched the new GrahamAlcott.com. So you can go and find that at GrahamAlcott.com. And one of the things that's part of that is for the first time ever... I'm going to be doing a a personalised weekly newsletter, which is going to go out on a Sunday. The idea of it is it's it's like the blues buster Sunday night email. So it just has some positive thoughts for the week ahead and just hopefully is just me kind of sharing ideas and uh, just having a bit of a dialogue with people. So if you want to sign up for that, just go to graymalcott.com. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. We might even try and put the little... Uh, widget to sign up to the mailing list on getbeyondbusy.com as well. Um, I'll talk to Mark about that. But yeah, if you want to sign up for that, the idea is that I'll just be doing a kind of weekly uh, email out. I'll let you know what I'm up to and also just share some some thoughts for the week ahead. Uh, I'd love to get some signups for it. It's brand new, literally just launched it last week with the new gremolcott.com site. So check that out. 
So let's get into the episode. Um, this was myself and Mark actually recorded in our old lives uh, back in January in Camden. And uh, it just, it was a really great conversation. I really enjoyed the conversation. It feels like such a long time ago now. It's just, it's a weird thing how time uh, seems to just be moving at a very different pace in this current COVID world. So um, yeah, it just feels like a lifetime ago, but really pleased to get this one out. So you join us in Camden. We blagged a meeting room. Here's my conversation with Mark LaRoost. Just like, I'm interested because yeah, sure. it's one of the questions I always get because I've got an online podcast course now. Yeah, yeah. Where I just I had so many people ask me questions and I used to run the workshop and then I was like, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. But I'm so always, you used to do that. That's how we first met, isn't it? You did that at um, General Assembly. Yes. Do you remember? No. So you'd had me on the unconventionalist. Yeah. And then I was doing a talk at General Assembly and you, you were You had a book. There. Yes, you were signing book signing thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. and you just came up and was like, hey, I'm from the yeah. Unconventionalist. It's like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. and we had a little chat. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I do remember that. I remember because, yeah. They, yeah, they had a big, big turnout. Yeah. I remember that. And then, yeah, 100%. And it's, um, so, so I always, I, I try and add stuff. Like, uh, like resources and I always get questions from people like oh can you do a lapel mic on an H5 uh, but we're rolling anyway and that was a really yeah. nice um, <laughs> one of those like organic podcast introductions uh, so we'll, we'll leave all that in yeah uh, I'm cool with on. Mark LaRousse how are you doing yeah good really good to see you again yeah likewise um, and uh, yeah appreciate you making the effort to come all the way up to uh, to Camden yeah and appreciate you making the effort when uh, you've got a, a sick two year old yes is that right yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and a very young baby and, as well that's right yeah. um, so Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, we've got two under three, yeah. um, which I thought was was interesting until I, I spoke to a client of mine who said he had four under five. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was, I don't know if that was brave or bold or mad. Yeah. No, yeah, that's right. No, I, I thought that was that was pretty brave. So you're going to do this and uh, head head straight back there to yeah. pitch in a bit on the family Yeah, front. basically just um, yeah, running back, picking up my daughter, and then... Um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting, interesting dynamic that kind of juggling the uh, dadpreneur life mm, thing, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. What do you do? Because your partner's also self-employed. Right? Yes, yeah, so she runs a business. Cause she was so she's the founder of the School of Conflict, um, and yeah, that's what she does. She basically tries uh, her, her kind of tag, not tagline, but the, her belief is that you know, let's not make conflict a dirty word. Right. So she goes and teaches people and like from the Guardian masterclasses to, you know, working with, with kind of high clients around how do you embrace the idea of having difficult conversations, mm. right? Whether that's in the bedroom or the boardroom or, you know, the office space or with your mates, um, we all avoid certain conversations and yeah. the quality of the yeah. conversations determine the quality of our lives. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's a pitch for, uh, for School of Conflict. Nice, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so... so, so the how does that work with parenting yeah. to people self-employed? Yeah. Like, right. what, what, have you got a strategy? What's yeah, the so the good news is... So, I, yeah, I mean, I could draw a whole list of, like, the good, the pros and cons. Mm. The, the good news is that we're more flexible in the sense that, for example, I don't even know what the paternity law is in the UK. <laughs> like, I don't even know. I think, in theory... You could split it, yeah. right? I think in the UK, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure you could split it. Not a lot of people do, right? A lot. Of, I read an article actually. That's my understanding. Is they changed the law and then that's no, right. No one no really taking it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's about what is it? A week? Two? Two weeks? I don't even know what people tend to take. Or three days? I don't even know these. Yeah, days. I think two weeks is two weeks. From like friends of mine have yeah. always done two weeks. Yeah, but yeah, but okay. I think you can split the um, maternity leave and paternity leave right. however you like. Now that's right. So you could have like. 
the dad has six, six months, months and the, the mum has yeah, six yeah, months. That's right. But unfortunately, yeah. not a lot of people take it and usually only get like at best six months full pay yeah. or this kind of stuff. Yeah. So from that perspective, it's cool because I was able to take about two months off. I mean, one and a half, definitely off. And then I've, I've been part time back. Um, so that's the good news. Uh, the other good news is that if like, for example, like right now, my daughter's unwell, I can call my clients or move meetings or stuff like that. As long as it's not like a hard commitment, yeah. I can say, hey, um, actually, do you mind if, if we move that to next week? I need to have the morning off. So that's really cool. The challenge is that if we both have an important... Um, yeah, I was going to say, what, what happens on the day where you both have a big go. speaking gig? So or we never do. Yeah. We, we actually, we try and coordinate yeah. all calendars that we never say yes to a gig where we both have to be... Yeah. Yeah. And what, do you use, do you use like a shared calendar for that, like a Google calendar? Or? No, we're very less sophisticated. I wish, yeah. I, I wish I had a much more... Uh, no, or we literally, I'll just say, uh, have you got anything planned on the set? Like, okay. I'm giving a talk in Athens. I've been booked yeah. to go and give a talk in Athens at a leadership conference in, in May. And I'll literally go, um, is it cool if I go uh, for three days to Athens, 7th to the 9th of May? She goes, yes. And then I just book it. And then it's done. Um, yeah, right. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and then the challenge, if, if you haven't developed a product ecosystem... Um, and that you're only exchanging time for money, then then when you run your own business, it's, it's tricky because yeah. you're not getting any income, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's what I, I launched a, a course just before paternity leave because of that. I was like, I need to have some income while I'm while I'm away. Oh, right, that's yeah. smart. So you're like, okay, I'm going to be away. Yeah. Well, Get I mean, a product launch. Yeah. yeah. So I just I knew that I was going to be away for at least six weeks. Okay. So I knew that I couldn't book any gigs or, or really any work, and I didn't want to, to be honest. Yeah. Because with my first. I, I launched, well, basically, when I went to start my company in 2016, um, about a month or two after, we found out my partner was pregnant. So very quickly, in the early stage of my business, I also became a dad. Yeah. And, and that was quite stressful because I had no processes in place, no systems. And so I was kind of half juggling being on paternity leave, but also answering emails, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. And, and you were solo in the business at that point. Yeah, no yeah. Assistance yeah, 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 yeah. It was all just, just on me and it, yeah, it was exhausting. So I decided that this time around I was going to do things differently and that's why we were just talking about it offline. I managed to, to build a little team, just awesome people who'd just been helping out. And when I was able to step away from the business for six weeks, nothing came crashing down. Things kept going, podcasts kept on going out every week and that kind of stuff. So nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Cool. Um, and well, I've got loads I want to talk to you about. Um, <laughs> cool. So let's start with, I love, you have this TED talk um, mm. that talks about quests, but the opening two or three lines of that TED talk <laughs> uh, really made me laugh. Mm. Um, and we were kind of talking just offline yeah. um, before about Instagram and stuff, which yeah. maybe we'll come back to. Um, do you want to just explain the start of your... TED talk yeah. and, the, and the idea behind it because it really it really resonated with me. Yeah, so I haven't. I don't think I've actually talked about this much because yeah. it's a great question and I haven't been asked that that question. It's so just a background story on that. Um, when I was invited to give a, a TEDx talk, I kind of panicked and I was like, "Oh my god, I got to come up with a talk." So I came up with a talk, and I had about five months before the talk to prepare this talk. Right, and for about four and a half months, I just prepared this talk. Had this. It was a completely different talk originally. Yeah, okay. yeah it was a completely different yeah. message, completely different. It was, if I remember correctly, it was something like the the premise and the the through line was what you think. No, what you want is clarity, but what you need is faith or hope. It was like such a weird. Anyway, so I did that. I prepared that talk, and twenty one days before the actual TEDx event, 
I had this crazy idea of I'm going to do uh, 21 days to build up, both to increase the uh, awareness on social media about it, but also to test the material. And so I decided to, to give the talk once a day for 21 days. Uh, ah. and, and going around friends and pitching them the talk and then getting their unfiltered feedback. Wow. So I did that. So just around like friends' houses yeah, yeah, yeah. and offices and, yeah, and all so kinds the, of places. So the thing is, I wanted to go and, and visit a new place I've never been in London, yeah. see, a, see a friend I hadn't seen in a long time, and practice to get feedback. That was the idea, wow, okay. right? That was the idea. So I go off and I start practicing this talk and it had stories of dragons. It was just, I mean, I'm thinking about it now, I'm cringing, but I was just like, <laughs> it was, so I, and the more I give this talk, the more I realize this is a really bad idea. This, yeah, this is a really bad talk. And you're getting so many different opinions from people. Yeah. This works, this doesn't work. You should do this, you should do that. So with about 10, I think it was 10 days to go before, it was, it was in April 2016, 17? April, 17, April 2017. 10 days to go, I go, I, need, I can't do this. I can't mm. do this talk. So I scrapped the talk entirely. And I decided to go for this other talk, a talk I'd given just a few days before to a group of entrepreneurs, which basically was about, you know, we, we, we've got to talk about the truth about being an entrepreneur, like or starting a business. There's nothing sexy about starting a business. It's horrible. It's actually super stressful and mentally draining. And mm. there's a huge issue of mental health issue. You know, no one talks about that. Why do we not talk about this? So that's, it came from like this real, uh, it sounds a bit, I don't know. Um, I'm, try, I'm trying to use uh, proper language. Uh, it sounds a bit rubbish, but it came from the heart. Like, it was really yeah, that talk. And yeah. so I thought, let me work on that. And so I started working on that. And I presented it to a friend called Amrish Shah. I've got, to get, I've got to give him a shout out because the origin story behind that is he's the last per one of the last person who ever saw me step on stage in a theater context at university in my first year. My brother, him, Dom, and another guy. And they saw me do my last play. And I used to do a lot of performing, acting, and that kind of stuff when I was younger. But then I stopped. And he saw my talk and he said, can I be honest? I was like, yeah. He's like, it's boring and it's not you. Like, mm. We need to put more of you in. And you, you could do that. That start of your talk could be such an exaggeration. Yeah. You know, because I talked about, you know, even offline, we were joking about like, you know, pouting lips. And, and he said, you could make that much more come alive. Yeah, right. And so that, it was born on the Hampstead Heath. He was on the bench. I was one of the people I, I gave the talk. He gave me feedback. And so then I went back and I wrote it. And it was this whole persona of all the things that you and I were talking about, all the things that really cheese me off yeah. than when I look online. So you're like, I'm crushing it. Yeah. I wake up at 5 Everyone's a. killing it. Everyone, yeah. So first of all, when you, go, like, when you go around these kind of communities, environments, especially what they, you know, fake it till you make it, mm. don't let them see you bleed, <laughs> uh, don't tell them you're sweating it out, you know. And everyone's like crushing it, amazing. Like, how are you doing? Oh, mate, just like, but you know they haven't made a single sale yeah. in 12 yeah. months. You know they're probably going through a divorce, you know. These horrible things are happening and no one's talking about it. So there was that. There was a whole thing about uh, the five, you know, I read a book called The 5 a.m. Miracle, something like that. And I was like, who gets up at 5 a.m.? <laughs> yeah, every day. Yeah. You know, like I'm drinking these smoothies. Look how amazing I am and look just how fantastic yeah. I am. So I drink a smoothie. I jump on a podcast. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I, I go in the sh a cold shower and That's I visualize right. my dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, but I just I, I did that. And here's the thing. When I practiced that bit <laughs> on the lead up, nobody laughed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so when I was practicing it with friends before I got on stage, it was a bit like, it's a bit awkward, and not quite did sure. Did you get the sense if no one's getting that this is a character? Well, I wasn't sure, like, yeah, yeah, I wasn't if sure. If no one got the irony, right. then it's really awkward. Yeah, that's right. But but when I got on stage on that TEDx talk, I remember, and my partner says, still, she says this still to this day, 
when I got on stage and I delivered that first line, you hear people laugh, <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to be okay. And that's how Apollo thought, I think it's going to be all right. It's, then from there on, it was, yeah. then it was a bit, I was surprised by the reaction. But, but they got it. They got yeah. that it was a joke. And then yeah. that's why the first part is very, this caricature, literally the transition I say is, it sounds, you know, it sounds funny because it's, because actually it's real. You know, this is probably what I've projected unconsciously and I didn't want to, but so many people, so many of us do that. We kind of project this image because we feel we have to, but why are we doing this? You know, what are we actually yeah. seeking as a result of that? And, and then I go into the whole quest. And, yeah. Yeah, and then the other bit that I really liked was as you sort of transition out of this, um, you know, crushing it, winning yeah. entrepreneur sort of character, you're like, uh, something along the lines of entrepreneurship, it, when did entrepreneurship become sexy? Yeah. And it's not sexy, and who in this room sort of feels yeah. sexy about it? And then you're like, I spend loads of my time just worrying yeah. about how it's going to go. And alone. Um, and, and alone. Yeah. And saying that you can't go to have a beer with your mates because you're worried about where the business is at and you've got to work on it more and yeah. all that sort of thing. So what was that like sharing that? And I'd love to just hear a bit more. Yeah, about well. well, so here's the thing. One of the weird things that's happened to me over the last, uh, well, you know, four years since I started my business, but really over the last eight years since I started going to this journey of coaching and writing newsletters and stuff, I've, I've been a bit of a, uh, I don't know how to put this in any other kind of way, but like one of, my, one, of, one of my life kind of purposes, whatever we call it, is, is normalizing the human condition. And, and, I, and I've had a way of often if I feel something, if I experience something, then I share it by talking about it. Mm. And usually what's happened when I do that is people go, thank you for saying that. Because that's, that's like, exactly... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why doesn't everyone say this? Yeah, yeah because, because I'm so tired of hearing this yeah. kind of fa yeah. facade and, and fake and actually someone saying... Um, I'm struggling or I've, I'm riddled with insecurities and doubts and I worry and and, um, and we haven't got time to go into it, but this was as a result of so many different things that happened. One of them was after I quit my job at Movember, right? So I was, I was country manager at the Movember Foundation. It was a very clear identity, right? When I used yeah. to go around to people saying, oh yeah, I've launched the foundation across you know a couple of countries in Europe and you know raised 2.8 million euros for men's health. Like it sounds cool and it was an amazing mm. foundation one of the best things i've ever done in my life and and i had this i've always had this hunger i was like well i want to go and do my own thing i want to i want to go and, and try and make my own little impact and when i left i had this grand idea that when i would start my own business it would be so easy and i would smash it mm. and i would get yeah. tons of clients and make more money than i thought that i'd be ripped because i'd be going to the gym every yeah. day for like six hours you know where did that idea come from i think good question i think it was um I think it's like anything. I think you project all your pains, all your worries onto an ideal scenario that could be. So and when, sort of flip it. Yeah. So it's so like, here's all the stuff I don't want. Yeah. And yeah. here are all the problems I have in this situation. Yeah. And I wrote a book years ago called It's Not You, It's Me, and where it started off as a blog post, as a joke comparing personal relationships to relationships at work. Mm. That I wanted to get a new job, yeah. but I felt like I was cheating on my job. That I would be sneaking outside the office going, you know, I can't talk right now. Yeah. Let me call you back. <laughs> or I'd delete my emails or I'd lie about going on the holiday when I was going for a job interview. So I, I wrote mm. this kind of, uh, you know, cheek and tongue kind of article that went quite well and people were commenting and that was the premise of the book. Yeah. And so there's this whole idea around in a relationship and in at work, if I'm unhappy here, it's because of the work. Not because of me, not because of something yeah. that needs to shift in me, but because of the situation. So something's going to be better out there. There's a combination as well with what I was seeing online and a lot of people project. And look, don't get me wrong. People, 
out there, I'm sure, very successful, quote-unquote, whatever that means to you, financially wealthy, having great health, great relationships, and they're living a good life, and I'm sure that's true, and I'm sure that exists. But what happened is that, especially when I launched my podcast in 2015, I was at a weird intersection. I was working, at, back then I used to be a life coach, so I was working with these people who were unhappy in their careers or unfulfilled as, as business entrepreneurs, who aspired to become these celebrities, quote-unquote, business successes, who I was actually interviewing. Mm. And my, my show is very much about the untold story of the journeys who we, that we perceive to be yeah. glor- glorified kind of thing. And I was hearing people saying to me, I can't remember what you asked me, by the way, when I was on Unconventionist, but I do remember feeling like these are good questions because they're a bit wonky. Yeah. And that really, that's well, what they're I real. Like too, I right? mean, yeah. it's, they're real conversation. That, that's, yeah. that I was trying to get, because I think everyone does the whole, tell me about your pitch, tell me how amazing yeah. you are, yeah. tell me what your product does. Yeah. But the people say like, what, you know, you seem confident now. Was there a time when you yeah. actually weren't so sure? And then that's usually when you get great stories. So to come back to the question, so I'm sitting there going, wait, I know these people and they're not as living the life that you think they are mm. and you want to have that life. And, and that's where I think that kind of picture was like, I, I need to be, I need to say something about this. Yeah. And so yeah. it didn't, it didn't feel, it didn't feel uh, that, I know it sounds weird, it didn't feel that hard for me to say it because I had already been expressing for quite a while some of the stuff that a lot of people don't say almost to the point where I, I almost didn't stop doing that at one point because what happened is I'd quit my job in November and I, I've got a video I've never released this it's somewhere in my, my, my files I'm feeling myself because I used to have a vlog I'm crying in my flat going what have I done I've got a mortgage to pay wow I've got I've got no, money's running out of my bank account yeah um, what the hell have I done like just completely going Am I crazy? Was I, compl- I, was, am I, was I that stupid to think yeah. that I could do this? And that was happening while on the outside, people thought I was smashing it and doing great. I went to a barbecue with my old colleagues and like, oh man, you must be so happy. Mm. Like it looks like you're doing so. <laughs> and so what do you do? Like it, it, there was this awkward thing about like, but if I say I'm not, then I'm not going to attract, and I'm putting like mm. air quotes, my fingers, attract opportunities. And so yeah. eventually I cracked and I wrote an article and I said, Hey, here's a, and I took a screenshot of my bank account and I had like 76 pounds left or something like that. <laughs> I was like, to all of you who I've misled into believing that I'm living the best life financially, yeah. here's the reality. Like I was, cause I was being invited on Google. I was doing all these amazing, but they weren't paying me back then. Mm. I wasn't making any money. It was very much like, it looks great. It feels great. It's true, isn't yeah. it? A lot of the stuff that, so I did uh, talks at Google a while ago and a lot of the stuff that looks really cool yeah. is also the stuff that they don't pay. No, right? like, 100%. Maybe because they know as well. Yeah, and, and, and I think people line cool. up because yeah. people would line up like yeah. all my highest paid gigs you would yeah. have never heard about oh, these yeah. companies. Yeah, yeah. Never. Yeah. Like, because it's all, it's, all it's all in kind of the background. So yes, yeah, so that, that was it. And, and I, but what's been amazing is that that TEDx talk came out, what, two years ago? That's probably three years this year. And I still get messages like very rarely. I'm yeah. not, I want to sound like, yeah. oh, I'm getting flooded. Yeah, with, yeah. But I get a message once in a while saying, thank you for saying that. Mm. I needed to hear that today. Or at last, someone saying a different truth, because I think they're different truths, of the journey than just... But then you also get hateful messages. Like, if you go in the comments of my TEDx talk, you'll have, like, there's, like, one of them is, um, it's the number one worst talk I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> this guy's a loser. <laughs> he doesn't run a... Like, 
you get like yeah. all that, but you've got to take it on the chin and just go, cool, you know. <laughs> that that it, it comes to the territory. <laughs> it's like YouTube. I haven't done a lot on YouTube in a long time, but just the vitriol and sort of the, the anger that people have when they comment on YouTube is just it's way mad. worse than yeah. I agree with you. Anywhere else? Yeah, right? I agree with you. Like I literally, I just released an episode with James um, Wilkes, who's the producer of. The Game Changer, the documentary on Netflix that's yeah, kind of going, yeah. that everyone's kind of talking about. So I released the episode and this guy I, just starts going off on one, basically going like, I'm smoking, uh, blowing smoke up his, you know, beep. Mm. Um, and I, what my rule is I engage, I do two engagement, then I stop, no matter what. So what I'll do is, for example, I'll say... With, with, it, with each person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, well, usually so I'll reply once. Long... I don't get into yeah. troll conversations. Yeah. If, if I get trolled, I'll, yeah. I'll get two answers in and then I stop. Mm -hmm. Then I disappear. Because it, literally what I said, I literally just said to him, uh, thank you for taking the time to watch the episode. You know, I love to hear that it's creating debate. Yeah. And uh, I understand that we may not agree, and I'm, but I'm glad you get an opportunity to express. Yeah. And then he goes off on a one yeah, again. Yeah, right. And so I just said, cool, appreciate it. We can agree to disagree. Next time I invite you to, you know, start your own podcast, start your own show, <laughs> get your own platform so you can see it. And then, you know, and then he goes up and then I stop. And then I'll come back. And yeah, and then you just get a really vitriolic comment. I, right, right. Yeah, so I can then go and like just, you know, crap all over your creative stuff. But it's a weird world though. Yeah. Like how people on you I just I never understood why why do people have so much energy and time to spend on mm. Just trying yeah. to bring people down. It's bi it's, bizarre. I, it's bizarre. So I'm I'm going to take away from you that whole two comments and then stop thing. Yeah. Because it's one of the many reasons why I don't do loads on yeah. social media. Is just like, oh, just the hassle of having to deal with all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But knowing that there's a little rule and then you can follow the rule. You do that. Yeah, like, I yeah, do that. Cool. And I, and I also nice. for people listening in that kind of spit. So I try and answer usually in a bit of cheek and tongue fun. So for example, that person who wrote mm. down on my TEDx talk. Um, the, the, the by far like the number one worst talk I've ever uh, heard, and I said I'm so glad I came in number one in one of your <laughs> things. In life. So, but I, but I'll try yeah. and do that. But sometimes it hits home, and it's yeah. and it's very hard not to be reactive. Yeah. Like like some, some personal stuff. Like people will write personal stuff. So if it's really bad, I'll just I'll actually just spam it, or I'll, I'll mark it for YouTube to kind of okay. take down. Yeah. But otherwise, I'll just again two stop. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. James Blunt on Twitter is very good, isn't he's he? He's very good. Um, I've not been on Twitter. He, for jump, a while. he jumps into conversations like, you know, I'm having, you know, um, some uh, you're beautiful is the worst thing that's ever happened to yeah, humanity, yeah. and then you reply, that's what you thought until my next album's coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very good. I, I saw a great one where someone goes. James Blunt has no voice, no songwriting ability, and no talent. And James Blunt just wrote underneath, and no mortgage. He's <laughs> <laughs> good. So good. Um, yeah, he's very good. But yeah, so back to the whole thing. Of, so you shared this stuff about, hey, I'm worrying a lot, and I'm yeah. worried about money, and yeah. uh, it's not sexy, and it's not cool, or whatever. So you obviously worried at that time about... Uh, portraying that negative mm. energy because everyone's told you know portray success and then everyone will be yeah. attracted to that yeah did you feel any negative consequence from that or did, like did you worry about that at the time did you feel that people were yeah not I, I think engaging that, with you because you were saying hey i'm not doing no, i think that was more so of a well, fear or, i think it was more of a, yeah. i think it's more of a fear that you project going if i'm real then i'll be rejected i think i think it's a human it's yeah. i think it's a natural human kind yeah. of fear i mean built in our dna around the way we evolve, literally, if, if you were an outcast to the community, 
you wouldn't survive on your own and you certainly wouldn't reproduce yourself. So it's built in us to try and fit in. And so if I tell you something that might not be what I make up to be appealing, um, attractive, or in any kind of way, I'm going to fear saying it. But what's, what's been bizarre is you, you, you tend to attract or, or, or repulse people the more you step into your, again, I don't want to use but like your message, like what you stand for, what you believe in. Mm. Like basically the more, for example, recently there was a Church of England uh, article that I published in the newspaper the other day that I read where they declared that the only people who should have sex are heterosexual married couples. And I saw that and it really made me mad. And mm. so I posted this rant on Instagram, but that's a controversial take when you start taking a stand against an institution like the Church of England. Yeah, yeah. But what happened is that you then get, it, some of my most engaged posts are when I am most passionate about what I speak about, when I'm real, when I, when I take a stand, when I take a dare to basically say something that might be controversial or, or not liked, and, mm. and, and it's hard. Yeah. So just to come back to your question, I think what's happened since then is that People who come to my workshops, people who hire me, people who bring me into the companies to go and give talks, they know that I'm going to be real and, and that's what they're looking for. If they're looking for someone who's going to be much more kind of, and I'm trying not to put a judgment on that, but someone who's trying to be much more kind of like, here are the six steps, six mm, steps of success and, yeah. you know, smile and never show weakness. And, well, that I'm not that. So I think, you, you, if anything, I've managed to, to position myself as to what to expect if you're going to work with me. Right. I think. And sort of almost like filter those people out because they probably wouldn't be that happy yeah. with what you do anyway. Right. right? So and I think that, you know, we need, you know, Yaya Baka talks about this, but we need different messengers for the same mm. message. Yeah. And so someone else is going to have a very different take on it and it's going to attract a different kind of community or people. Yeah. Interesting. Um, would you say, so that whole thing, I, I'd imagine is something that everybody struggles with at work, that thing yeah. of how much to put of themselves online yes. and how to you know, sort of project one particular image to yep. one group of people and then maybe there's some bleed into, you know, other yep. people sort of seeing those yeah. messages and stuff. So that must, I mean, I think it's probably one of those challenges that's more so if you run your own business and it's based around you, but it's probably yes. a pretty universal thing. Yeah. Do you think the answer to that is different if you're a millennial as if <laughs> you're a bit older or younger? And mm. I know you've done a lot of yeah, stuff millennials stuff. and stuff and it'd be interesting to Great sort Great of question. Um, so just uh, there's two parts that I want to answer. One of the first one is, yes, I mean, there's, if you go on my website, um, you'll see like one of the big things I keep on saying is being yourself is good for business. Mm. Like I believe that being yourself is good for business and that no one should have to be one person at home and one person at work if they choose to. I think we should all have the choice. Some people just yeah, like a bit yeah. more privacy. Yeah. They don't want to necessarily... But if you some want... Some people like to go to work and be a hard bastard. Yeah. Right? Like, that's <laughs> well, the thing, isn't it? Well, some people like to be separate both. They like to say, yeah. I'm on work yeah. and I'm off work yeah. and I'm just two different people. Mm. So, so that's like the first part around like I 100% believe that being yourself is good for business because the, the truth is if you, can, if you can bring your full self to work and this is, you know, you can look at data and research, but if you can bring your full, full self to work, then you're going to be more productive and you're going to be just a more human, happier employee and more engaged, more, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it impacts the bottom line of organizations. Now, the question about intergenerational uh, dynamics, I think it, it, it definitely plays when you look at the, the five different generations that are now operating in the workplace. They say we've never had this many generations at once. Could be true just because 
we're living much longer but yeah. before kids used to work at 10 or 12 you know? yeah, right. so I think, yeah i think they'd right yeah. i think there were, there were there were intergenerational dynamics before just on different scale so i think it comes more natural now again so i'm i'm more of a specialist on millennials than any other generation but when i look at millennials i usually separate them into two different generations so i call them the analog millennials and the digital millennials so i'm an analog millennial i'm born in the 1980s so if you're born in the 1980s you remember a world with no internet you remember a right, world without any yeah. phone so i grew up without yeah. any phones i remember the first phone that came out i remember the first sound of the internet making mm. so i remember life before digital came in but from my team, they're mostly born in the 1990s, so they're more the digital millennials. They've only known, really, a life of being online and digital. So when you look at that, you, you also look at what the tend has been to be about, kind of, oh, I'm going to share what my breakfast I had for breakfast this morning. Oh, I'm going to start talking a bit more about mental health. It's becoming less of a taboo, so we start talking more about how we're feeling online, and, and suddenly you've got a generation, and this is where I think... Often when I try to explain to companies the context, the context behind millennials, it's the first generation where we were raised at one point in our life to think that we're basically on a world stage constantly and that no matter what we do, no matter what we say, is going to be relayed to like our friends, our mm. community, our online. And, and what's bizarre is that we've now become in a, in, in a society whereby we use social media to show people where we are you know before we take photos i remember my brother giving me this this um observation my older brother he's a gen x uh, 1980 uh, and he said before we used to take pictures to show people what they've missed you know like oh look we had this event you know it was yeah. great now we take photos to show where we are it's kind of like oh look at me and look how amazing i am and, and you'll mm. see this people listening to this we will be guilty of it i've been guilty of it you're in a group environment you know, you might be on your phone, you might not be really talking to each other, but hey guys, group group selfie, yeah. everybody jumps in, you're smiling. Yeah. And so the photo you see online is everybody smiling and laughing, but actually <coughs> everyone's just in their own, own little bubbles. Mm. So what what older generations struggle with, this idea of, of I don't want to be talking about my feelings at work necessarily, or I don't want to be, why is everybody talking about their problems and feelings and all this stuff? Now, I think there's a balance. I think if you operate, uh, you know, I don't know if you've read um, one of the, Google studies were called the Aristotle Project, which is basically to understand high-performing teams. And they looked at the five different pillars that make high-functioning teams and low-functioning low teams. And one of the most important things that need to happen in a high-performing team is what they call psychological safety. Mm. Psycholo psychological yeah. safety, effectively, is to say that um, there, I do not fear repercussions for uh, speaking out or talking about a vulnerability or talking about a struggle or a challenge. Which basically means if you're in your, your team and you say, guys, we're going to launch this project, you know, Jack, Amy, you're going to be working on this. I want you to deliver this by then. They can say, Graham, we've never done this before. We're going to need more time, more resources. We're going to need extra stuff. But they can raise their hand knowing that you're not going to shut them down, make fun of them or, or make them feel small. Yeah. Yeah. So, so psychological safety is like a really important thing. So you need to be able to create a space where people have the opportunity to open up. But where I think sometimes it goes a bit too far and, 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 people might argue with me around this, is when I feel like some people are using their online platform and talk about their feelings and emotions, it becomes almost an unhealthy, in an unhealthy capacity. It's almost kind of, I'm doing it because I need approval or I need to have some form of recognition. Mm. And so I'm using it as a leverage, almost like if, imagine if I told you as a leader, you need to show more emotions 
to, to be a more compelling and engaging leader. So right. we need Just to we need to cry even more. Right? Yeah, that's right. Checklist that's then, right. I needed yeah. to I needed to cry a bit more in front of yeah. the team. Right. That's right. that's I think. And so you go yeah. there and you and you're desperately trying to cry, but yeah. onions and you're like, yeah. it's gonna it's it, it you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, right. does, that, does that make sense? Yeah. Um. So I think I think yeah. I don't know if that was a long winded answer, but it's it's an interesting dynamic. I think, um, millennials and Gen Z have a more of a need to be open and, and expressive. And I think for Gen Xs and baby moves for sure, it's a much bigger challenge for them because they see that sometimes as, as being challenged or, mm. or, or being threatening yeah. or being uh, unobedient, right? So it's kind of like, we need to understand why we need to do this. We want to ask context and questions around why does this project matter? Why are we doing it this way? We could be doing it more effectively. So it kind of spills and feeds into different, different dynamics at work. What do you see around the levels of cohesion or unease between millennials and yeah. other generations at work? Like anything in life, I think it's it's an, uh, a misunderstanding of the other. I think what happens when so I've got an ex- I got brought in by a bank, um, one of the oldest financial institutions in the world. They own ten percent of the world assets. Bring me in to work around um, how to how to better lead and manage millennials in the workplace. And so I go in, you know. The first part of the work I do is, is usually like an introductory talk. And in the room, there's about, I'd say, 50, 60 percent of uh, baby boomers slash Gen X. Um, then about maybe 35, 40 percent of, of millennials and the rest, the small of Gen Z. And one of the first things I do, usually my, in my, my sort of talks, I do icebreakers and I do kind of like little events and people talk. And one of the first questions I ask is, you know, um, you know so why, why are you here? Like, what are you hoping to get out of today? Now, keep in mind that half of the people in that room were told to be in that room because <laughs> yeah. because that leaders were like, you need to yeah. get some help on how to like stop getting like, you know, firing or people quitting because of your leadership, whatever. And half of them were there because they were interested. Right. Um, first person stands up, Gen Z. Uh, well, yeah, probably like old generation Gen Z, early baby boomer. And he goes, yeah, why? Why do we need to talk about? Millennials. Haven't we talked about millennials enough already in life? I mean, seriously, do we really need to spend some time talking about millennials now? I've not had enough attention. Next, ma- next man stands up. Yeah, uh, I never had a free sandwich when I started <laughs> off working. I mean, and it so it starts popping, right? But I love that. Mm. I love that because that means I know what I'm playing and I'm working mm. with. Yeah. As opposed to trying to try and go, oh, everyone come down. I'm like, yeah. And I start, I, I kind of play with it. I go, right. I mean, seriously, should we have another blog about bloody avocado and toast? You know? <laughs> but actually what happens is that you need that space for people to, f- to feel like they can vent mm. and, and speak. And my biggest transformation that I can see is at the end of that talk that they see each other in a completely different light. Yeah. That they actually go, oh, wow. You, you know, because the, the, the cliche, I'm super over it, like uh, generalizing this, but... What tends to happen is that, you know, older Gen Z and baby boomers tend to go as millennials are entitled, lazy, unfocused, and difficult to manage. That tends to be like the narrative, mm. right? They they, 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 they want to have, like, my mom will send me these videos. She finds them hilarious. And I can see why they're funny, of like cliched videos of millennials. Like, I'm not going to show up at 10 today because you know, I feel like it. I'm having a mental health day. So uh, I'm just going to go home. And it's like all these jokes about yeah. millennials. So they, that's how they see them. They perceive them as like, you're, you know, you don't want to work hard. You've got no ethic. You want to be promoted after three months. You want to get a, a, a you know, salary increase. You want beanbags and all this stuff. Meanwhile, if you if generalization again, the millennials look at, you know, Gen Z and baby boomers as dinosaurs and just completely archaic methods of working. Like, you know, look at, you know, you, you're a productivity expert, but 
all the different tools and apps and softwares and hacks and blah, blah, blah that exist around the world to make our lives easier, why, why do we need to work hard? Mm. Like, you're crazy. And, and why are we doing that? That makes no sense. Like, constantly questioning. So you get these two worlds clashing. So what my talk is, my introductory talk that I give, is literally I go, let me explain to you the intergenerational dynamics. So <clears> I, I go a little bit quickly about the different generations. And then I go really deep in millennials. So that really managers, older managers and leaders can understand the complexity of, of what millennials brought in without to say millennials are perfect and they should get away with murder. But rather like, you, I don't think you quite understand what's happened to our generation. And mm. I go through that and then look at the stats and like literally show them the difference between, um, you know, purchasing power amongst millennials, the, the tendencies and trends around we're going into the, you know, marrying later, we're getting on the property market much later and how this is all affecting blah, blah, blah. And then I talk about the, the negative sides of being a millennial. You know, what's the cost of this generation that is, that is actually hard? And at the end, it's about building bridges. So it's kind of like, what can you learn actually from Gen Xs and baby moons? What can you learn from millennials and Gen Z? Reverse mentoring programs. Like, and, and you build that bridge so at the end, they literally go, oh, I had no idea. And now I have a much better understanding of, of where you're at. Because if we, can, if, I, if we can understand each other better, we can relate to each other better. Yeah, And I think that's always the problem. I always find that if I go into these situations where it's very kind of, and I usually get brought in because we have got a problem managing these millennials. And mm. so you got it from a quite conflictual approach from the get-go. And, and when you understand that this, again, people don't like this, but my, one of my key messages I land is to say you've got a choice. Either you face the reality and you adapt and you evolve and you progress and you become a magnet for millennials, or you're in conflict with reality and you're going to struggle to be relevant in the next decade maybe even the next five years. Yeah. And that's just the choice you have. And, 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 it, and it comes down to things like this idea of having a long life career for 20, 30 years, being loyal to a company is over. That's done. So it's a bit like if you're going to a generation who love dating and having little experiences, going out as opposed to getting married and settled and having kids straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what it is, right? Yeah. And so you've got to get them to kind of stop being in conflict with reality. Nice. Um... Yeah, I love that. Uh, like, I, it sort of strikes me that sometimes people use the word millennial in the same way as, you know, sometimes you hear reports and it'll say um, a boat with 100 refugees in it yeah. has sunk off the coast or whatever. And I just think, can we just change that to a boat with 100 people? Yeah, or 100 humans. Humans yeah. or families or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes... Yeah, there's labels. The word millennial kind of has such a connotation to it that it's right, like, like vegans. The, use your people, you know, use yeah. your people in the best possible way. Like utilize your people yeah. to do great things. Right, 100%. that should be like a no-brainer. So I've got a funny thing, anecdote right? on this. Um, so I'm walking, uh, walking next to my house, and I'm going down to a local coffee shop. And who do I see in the coffee shop? Simon Sinek, um, yeah. ordering a, ordering a coffee. And so I go in there, and I just you know start chatting to him and. Um, I'm sure he had better things to do than having this weird <laughs> millennial coming to talk to him, right? Um, but uh, we get chatting and he goes, oh, what do you do? And I sort of take space. I help organizations clarify their purpose to better lead and inspire their employees, and, and especially millennials. And, uh, and he kind of looks at me and goes, isn't that funny? That's actually a thing. Like now that we know to actually, <laughs> yeah, to actually yeah, have yeah, a business yeah. around helping yeah. companies attract, engage, and retain millennials. Because yeah. he had that millennial thing that went viral, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so a lot of the stuff actually, I, a lot of the stuff I was like, it's quite American, it's quite North American. Mm, yeah. Like, I don't know about you, but I, I didn't grow up getting medals for participating or I didn't <laughs> yeah. get it. I didn't get any of that. Like, I didn't. Yeah. So, 
but yeah, he, you know, he's got a good point. I think a lot of things he talked about was we want to, a lot of millennials say we want to have an impact, but what does that mean? You know, I've been six months. The in impact thing was the thing from that that I really yeah. took this whole thing of, um, you know, millennials saying after three months of working somewhere, yeah. oh, I'm going to leave because I don't think I'm making an impact. And yeah. this thing of like, yeah. actually, if you're making an impact anywhere, yeah. you probably need to be there a bit longer. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Actually be patient with stuff. 100%. And I think that's, that's such a great... 100%. Uh, and, and again, you know, we don't have, have time to go into it, but that is, if you, I mean, you've got to understand the context of millennials. If you don't understand the context, you can't understand how to pivot mm. and change it. Because what will happen yeah. is you go, you're impatient, and you're um, not appreciative of the situation and you're, you're crazy to think that you're going to get promoted in three months. Whereas if you understand the context, you can go, oh, the reason why is that you haven't learned how to be bored in your life. <laughs> like, like literally when you go to see addictive centers around technology and digital media, they don't necessarily teach you about how to stop using your phone or how to stop. They teach you how to be bored again. Mm. But when is the last time you were bored or anybody listening to this when was the last time you were bored but you did not pick up your phone when you were waiting for a friend at the restaurant you weren't picking up your phone when you were in the tube station that you were just sat there feeling like a bit of an idiot <laughs> bored we don't do that anymore and so if you don't train that in your people how do you want patience to become something that yeah. we understand and, and the two things you can't hack in life are meaningful relationships and intimacy in relationship and fulfilling careers you, you mm. could, there's no there's no app yet there's no yeah. hack yet those yeah. take time nice here's a little invitation to anyone who listens to this podcast is like go and be bored today yeah just for five minutes yeah just find a little Seriously. window and don't fill that window with your phone right? and and, no, what, and and if you do and if you're brave enough to, to take upon this challenge just notice how you're feeling and what's going on as you're in that place what mm. are the little voices you're hearing are you going oh my god for example I'll give you an example my mini challenges I do at the moment is like if I'm at the restaurant, whether that's a client meeting or with my partner, and then, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. It's to sit there and to not get my phone out. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, and to just sit there and it's so awkward. I find it awkward, but it's all, it's all our internal dialogue. Nobody else cares unless you look like an offender or like, you know, something mm. a bit weird, but it's all our internal stuff. And what I find is that the more you do that, the more you become accustomed to patience and yeah. you just see things a bit differently, a bit more space, you can dissociate, you know, all that kind of stuff. I've started doing that a lot. If I'm meeting somebody for lunch or coffee or whatever and I'm there first, yeah. then the thing I do now is to make sure that when they walk in, then what they're not seeing is me scrolling on my phone. Yes. I want them to be yeah. seeing me sat there waiting yeah. for them. Yeah. And just in my mind, I feel like that their thought is probably, oh, Graham's thinking about me rather yes. than Graham's think thinking about an email. Or yeah, and, I, and just that little tiny thing, because then what that does to me is I actually start being present about what do I want to get out of yeah. this lunch or, you know, things like that. Conversation. Or, day or whatever, but it just, yeah. like, it just, I just feel a bit more grounded yeah. when I'm then in the room with that person. Yeah, know. there's, um, you know, I'm going to give a shout out. There's, there's, a, there's a friend of mine called Arthur Paulins. He's, you know, the founder of the Breathwork Academy. And he's been basically making me go through these breathing exercises and it's crazy mm. just basically how breath work or just breathing can ground you and calm and, and and i don't know about you but my head is like a million ideas a minute i'm yeah. constantly thinking about different stuff chasing contracts invoices proposals blah, 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 all the time and i woke up one day going how do you know ever how to prioritize stuff you know and then 
this breath work. Well, it's a good book you can yeah. read. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 100%, right? Definitely. Grab the book. Uh, but but that, that taking that five minutes yeah. to breathe and to just go, oh, actually, what do I want to get out of today? You know, and as we're recording this, um, Kobe Bryant died yesterday mm. of a helicopter crash with his 13-year-old daughter, and it, and it really affected me. And I was I mean, trying to think about it because I don't follow basketball. Yeah. I didn't necessarily follow him. I heard him on a, on a, on a podcast, on Lewis House podcast, and I was fascinated by his story, and I thought he was a you know, very interesting man. But I thought things, things can happen at any moment. Like we take every morning for granted. Mm. As if I, there'll be tomorrow. But what yeah. if today's the last morning? I don't know how it went off on that tangent, but it's, it's got me really thinking about a oh, presence. That was it. Yeah. To try and be a bit more present and intentional. Yeah, for sure. I remember reading something that really affected me after, it was about six months after Princess Diana died. Mm. And it was basically saying that, it's basically this sort of theorem that Tony Blair had got elected. It just felt like this huge party in the country, yeah. you know, sort of a whole you know, new hope for a new era and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And then Princess Diana died died like three months later or something and this piece was basically saying uh people are generally uncomfortable with the idea of everything just being amazing all the time (laughs) and so people went way overboard on the grief for diana because they were basically weeping for their own mortality Mm. i remember reading that just thinking ah that's it's a bit explains it that's a whole other conversation around death right but it's such a bizarre and, and what was weird is I finished a book um, that morning, that very morning before I heard the news, like, that basically said, I think the line was something like, there are people who are waking up this morning who won't be here tomorrow and they'll be surprised by that. Mm. You know, we all know we're going to die, but no one lives, no one lives like that. I'm paraphrasing, butchering the sentence. And I remember going, wow, how, mu- how much are we all in denial of our own death? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I am personally I keep on thinking that I've got this eternal life that I can go on and all these projects I want to do and see my kids when they get you know but who knows you yeah. know and, and that 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 for me is, a, is another interesting topic altogether yeah for sure and we're darting all over the map here and I feel like with um, the death thing I think about death all the time mm. and I also think I'm in denial about it yeah <laughs> right yeah um, there's an amazing book have you read um, Atul Gawande um, no it's called Being Mortal no and it's all about how the medical he's a um trauma surgeon yeah and he does all this research yeah. in the states into sort of how they deal with the dying yeah and he basically has it down to here are the five or six questions that when you find out you're dying will really help you to figure out what treatment plan to put in place so for example it's like do i get six months of really good quality of life and then the cancer kills me or do i get three years of chemo of ke- yeah. struggling along yeah. not having a great time and so it's kind of, you know, length versus yeah. width and all yeah. these different yeah. things and, yeah. you know, depth and all this stuff. And um, really, it's a book about how to live yeah. because it's a book about how to die, right? Right, it's, right, It's right. an amazing book. But I'll have to check it out because that was one one of those ones as, really started, me, yeah. as soon as you started that, I was going to say, oh, there's a book called to Live and Die Well. Oh, okay. I think it's called Live and Die Well. Maybe I'm intrigued. It's written by a paleatic, what do you call it? You know, the people who work in the doctors who work in that last that's the center before you die. Okay. Taking care of the last. And, she was a doctor for I don't know how many years and she writes about the process yeah. of death. And the the, the the book is about basically, which for me is fascinating from someone who's quite um, processed, like trying to understand things. It's basically the same way that when we're pregnant, there are signs and steps towards mm. delivery that we're looking for. Death is, operates the same way. Yeah. In 98% of yeah. cases, when we die of a natural causes, not because of a gun wound or a stab or something like that, 
then our, our bodies will go through these patterns that people who observe death over and over again can start naming and yeah, seeing. Right, yeah. And actually, yeah. the, the, the mechanical aspect of dying, for me, this is what helped me. The mechanical aspect of dying is, is, is an unbelievable engineering system hmm. where your body will put you into a coma so that you don't feel anything and then you slip into death, basically. Yeah. So she explains that the physicality of it. Amazing. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're jumping around, right? Which, uh, but in order to live, you need to understand we're yeah, all going to die. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, let's take a massive step back and um, sort of change the pace a little bit. Yeah. One of the things that you did very early on that went really sort of viral was you did this like video with your CV <laughs> on it. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that. We'll put a link to that in the show yeah. notes. And I watched it the other day and I was like, this feels like something that Vice would do. Like, it, you know, it's edited with all these different scenes in it. It's quite yeah. a complex yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you quite often hear those stories about once a year or so there's a story of someone standing outside Bank Tube Station with a sign saying, please hire me or yeah. whatever. But you did it with video and you did it in this kind of two-minute sort of epic video. So, mm -hmm. firstly, what gave you the idea to do that? Yeah. And just tell us, tell us the story <laughs> about that process. So, the short version, because this is, this is a long winter, but the short version is, um, I'd done the, the typical route of what you're supposed to do, you know, work hard, get in a good enough university, get a good enough degree, get a good grade, get a good job, work hard, and if you're lucky, when you're 60 to 70, you'll retire and get the gold <laughs> watch or whatever. Yeah. So, it was on that kind of track. You know, three days after graduating, I got a job in a corporate, traveling around the world, this extravagant lifestyle. Everything was great on paper, but I was deeply miserable. Mm. Um, and I went through what, you know, most self-respected millennial will say they've gone through a quarter-life crisis. <laughs> so I, you know, I quit everything, wasn't aligned with my values. I had a heartbreak, broke up with my ex at the time. My grandfather was diagnosed terminal cancer. It just went all downhill um and what were you like 25 at this point no yeah so i was i was 20 wait a second so i finished uni i was 22 i must have been around 26 something okay. like that something yeah. like that. i forgot how old i was and um and i'm dyslexic so uh i can't spell at best of times and the whole idea of conventional cvs <laughs> has always just just done my head in i'm like yeah. how am i supposed to come out in terms of what i can bring and add value to your company mm. by this piece of paper because it's not where I can shine. Like, yeah, I'm not, if you, if you looked at my CV, but if you met me in person, yeah. I would have a much more compelling impact if you met me in person. And so what happened is, okay, long, again, long story, I started a company with a friend called Mr. Taylor. It was an online tailoring soup company. Um, but we ran out of cash, so I needed a job. Worked in a, at INSEAD, the business school. Um, and I was sitting behind my desk thinking, what am I, what, what, and I loved INSEAD, the organization's amazing. But I thought, what am I, what am I doing? Like, I'm doing all these sales calls. I was generating about 6 million euros of sales a year for them. Mm. I'm going, there must be like something a bit, probably more that I can do in terms of my skills. And I spoke to a friend called Andrea who used to work in an advertising agency um, called Anomaly. Well, I just remember that name. Anomaly, yeah. And I said, mate, I just need to, I think, I think I'm a creative. I think I should be like an advertising agency. <laughs> right. You know, like Mad Men or that kind of yeah. stuff. I don't know if it was out then, but... Um, and he goes, well, mate, like Anomaly is a really in-demand advertising. If you want to get a job, you're going to have to do something that stands out. Mm. And I remember going, what could I do that could help me stand out? And yeah. I basically had this idea. Now, people listening to this will not realize this, but it doesn't sound pioneering now. But back in 2010, 2011, no one had a video CV. I think that maybe one or two online at that, but mm. no one had heard of the constant video CV. Yeah. So I approached my friends. I said, look, I think I'm going to do this video CV. 
the vast majority of people laughed at me, my family included, my parents included. Everyone thought this is a ridiculous idea. It's never going to work, all this kind of stuff. But two of my best mates, Dennis Duvochel and Mickey Mahu. Dennis Duvochel builds and codes websites. And Mickey Mahu is like a film director. Like, mm, okay. and, um, and they both were like, cool. Let, let, you know, yeah. emotionally blackmailed us into this, <laughs> but let's do it. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, just we filmed it. I did the script, wrote everything. Yeah. And Mickey, the visual genius behind it is Mickey, the film director, is very talented. And we filmed it over like a couple of weekends. Um, did that and then put it out, I think, on Vimeo in 2011 as a private link. I'd send it to a few people one-on-one. -on -one. People were like, oh, it's really great. And in 2012, I was like, the only way this is going to work is if I make this public. Mm. But I didn't really know a lot about YouTube. So I put yeah. it on YouTube in January 2012, make it public, leave it at that. And then something weird happened is that it went, quote-unquote, viral. Yeah. People were tweeting Oprah, people like Tony Rod. Like, it was just going everywhere. <laughs> going, you need to hire this guy. Have you seen this guy? And I'm in the office. It's like an open space office, right? Working behind my computer, making these sales phone calls. And one of my old colleagues from a different department bursts into the office going, oh my God, Mark, I saw your video online. It's amazing. <laughs> and my manager's there, which I forgot to say in the story, is that I borrowed the keys to my office and I came over the weekend yeah. to film the video CV in my current job. Right. Yeah, don't do that. If you listen to this, it's a very terrible idea. <laughs> so this person jumps in and goes, you know, we see the video and I'm like trying to, like, I'm making the gesture of stop talking with my hand now. And I'm going, oh, you mean the video when I used to skateboard when I was a kid? Oh yeah, that's a long time oh, ago. Oh, ah. how cringe. And I didn't realize that, of course, if you're going to make a video public, everyone yeah. can see it. So long story short, uh, I sent a tweet to Adam Garoni, the then uh, CEO and, and co-founder of Movember Foundation, saying, from one Mobro to the next, mm -hmm. an honor to you know, uh, serve you, here's, here's my video CV. Mm. And you replied saying, uh, that's actually a really good video CV. Uh, are you based in London? And I wasn't. So I replied cheek and tongue, I'm not, but I could be for the right reason, say work for Movember, dot, dot, dot. He's like, well, um, get in touch with Anna, we might have an opening. Uh, again, long story short, I, it was Valentine's Day, I remember, because my ex came traveling from abroad coming on Valentine's Day, that Friday. I got an email on the Wednesday saying, can you be in London on Friday? We want you to meet the co-founder. My partner at the time, amazing and supportive, said, go, you got to go. Like, even mm. if I'm just flying, I'll just hang out with your parents, you got to go. So I went over to London, and I got the job on the spot. Uh, they gave me country manager, and they told wow. me, can you launch this in France and Switzerland, Belgium, Spain? And wow. The rest is a, is a hairy history. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good story. And then after you'd... So that's still live on YouTube Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it's, had, so, it's had about 600,000 views or so something. So do you just get loads of job offers now? To people no. Just... No, what I get is, and I, and I feel bad saying this publicly, but I don't have time to answer to all of them. I get a lot of messages from people saying, students, um, saying... Hey, can you do my video CV or video <laughs> right. CV? Can you, can you one, yeah. yeah, can you do mine? Yeah. Or I've had loads of imitations and copies of it. Like yeah. lots of people just literally taking the exact same format and script, wow. but yeah. making it then. So that's been quite funny to watch <laughs> other people just using the exact same music and format and wow. everything. I used to get at uh, first I was a bit weirded out by it, but now I'm like, cool, just do it. You know, mm. it helps. Yeah, um, I had a really depressing conversation with uh, a business school who I was doing some work for, mm. and I'd said in the Q&A, they said, come back in and do another session for us, but um, you said something in the last Q&A that we don't want you to say again. Mm. And that is uh, the way that, so the way that these students are getting jobs is by completely blending in 
giving the standard identikit CV or whatever, <laughs> and your advice was stand out, do yeah. something different, or yeah, whatever, yeah. that's not what they need to hear. Yeah. And I thought about it, I thought, mm. I think they're wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I'm not gonna advocate something that I don't, don't agree yeah, yeah. with, yeah. and I'll just basically skirt over that question if sure. it comes up again. Sure. But it really struck me, and this was like last year, yeah, this yeah. was not a long time ago. Um, it really struck me that in like in 2020, yeah. there are people who still think the way to do all this stuff, if you're a student graduate yeah. right now, is to just have the perfect typeset CV in the way that the career centres yeah. have taught you to do, and to not. And I, I think I gave the advice of you know just do something really small, like having it on a different colour paper or something. Just yeah. to, just if you can't do anything, just do something Love small. It. I think that was yeah, right. Print on pink or yeah, paper, whatever. Yeah. And the advice I got back from the client who was the business school was like, no, 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 just it's all got to be exactly the same because they have so many to deal with. Yeah, yeah. There's that, isn't that? And, and, yeah, just yeah. awful. Why? Yeah, I. But I, I'm not. I, and I'm not surprised. It's a bit horrible, yeah. isn't it? I'm like, I'm not that surprised. You know, it's funny because I used to I used to um, work with the business school as well around mentoring some of the MBA students. Yeah. And that 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 topic of like, but you're competing against the exact same caliber, yeah. really, of yeah. candidates. You're all doing the exact same CVs. You're going to the same mm. conferences, the same networks. Do, do, do you hear how crazy that is? And yeah. you're expecting yeah. to kind of have a bit of a different outcome. It's not going to happen. You know, one of my one of my favorite ones is that guy. I forgot his name now. I used to use him in one of my case studies. Um, it's very much to the story that you said earlier. He basically paid for a billboard outside of Wall Street mm, that said, yeah, uh, yeah. "I've used my last, you know, my last paycheck yeah. was used to this billboard. Please hire me." Yeah. And then he got a job, and then he used his first paycheck to say thank you. Oh, isn't that? Yeah. Lovely? He said, "I used my first paycheck to say thank you for your help," and he got a job. And now he's like a wrestler. He runs a wrestling company, I think, or something weird. Yeah. Anyway, but that's a lovely end to that story, though. Yeah. Yeah. You've, but you've, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think like anything. Is it purple cow from Seth Godin? Seth Godin's thing, yeah, yeah. The whole thing about like, if you saw one purple cow, you'd be totally amazed. But if you saw over and over again fields and fields and fields of purple cows, there wouldn't be that special. Yeah, it's about what is remarkable. That's right. With the literal, you take that word very literally, what is something that I can put out into the world that will be remarked about. Yeah. Right? And like, I think that's such a powerful powerful idea. Movember. So, yeah. so you launched Movember in a couple of different countries mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, for anyone who is listening to this, maybe overseas or whatever, like yep. has never heard of it, maybe yeah. just give a really brief little thing. <laughs> yeah. So, God, I've got, I've got, to, remember, like, I've got, I've got to remember this because yeah, I haven't have talked. To do. No, no, no. no I'm, I'm, perfect. But I should, I should remember this because <laughs> it's in my bones now. Yeah. So, effectively, in 2003, a bunch of mates were in a pub in, in Australia and um, in uh, outside of Melbourne, and they were just joking around how. The moustache had gone out of fashion. Like their granddad used to rock them, or their sports icon used to rock. You know, like everyone used to rock this moustache, but it gone out of fashion. And so, as a joke, they kind of challenged each other, saying, "I bet you can't grow a moustache." And he said, "I'd have a better moustache." And so, thirty mates got together in that first <laughs> first year and decided to grow a moustache. And you know, Mo in Australian slang for moustache, and November became Movember. Oh, um, didn't and know that yeah, and so they, they did it for thirty days, thirty mates. But the problem was that everybody kept on saying. You know why? What, yeah, what are you doing? And so they'd come up with like, you know, we're a, I don't know, we're a Queen tribute band. You know, eighties porn <laughs> stars. You know, they want to, you know, and they had a lot of fun and they had a big party because Trav, one of the two guys in the pub's birthday, I think, is on the twenty seventh of November. Mm. So they had a big party where they all came dressed up, and they're like, oh, we should do this again next year. And so the next year came, and they said, 
well, if we're going to get away with this with our partners and our and our bosses, and and if we're not going to get kicked out of outside of schools, we go and pick up our kids. We should come up with a good, um, good excuse, good reason. And they saw a program that men had just as much prostate cancer as women had breast cancer, but no one was talking about it. Mm. And uh, the mortality rate was was quite high back then. And so they had this genius idea. They're going to go and see the prostate cancer charity in Australia. And they say, look, we've got a great idea. We're going to get guys to grow moustaches and women to support the growth of the men's moustache in their life. We're going to raise money for prostate cancer. We're going to eradicate prostate cancer. And the, the cancer prostate cancer uh, charity in Australia were like, it's a great idea, but it's way too hairy. We can't be associated with that, so we can't be an official partner. But Why, if you, what do you mean is it too hairy? They were like, it's, too, it's, a bit, it's a bit too out there. Like a bit like the, the CVs at the business school. Not like, like literally too hairy. No, 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 it's too like, yeah, it's a bit too like. And, and so they said, but if you raise any money, we'll take it. <laughs> and I believe they raised, like yeah. they had a few more mates and colleagues, and these were not like, they were a mix of barbers and chefs and advertisers and skateboarders and consultants and, you know, ex-army people. And they raised, I think about, I think it was $53,000 or something like that. And they gave it to the charity and it was the largest um, fundraising they'd ever received in their entire existence. Yeah, and wow. they thought, if a bunch of mates growing a moustache gives the biggest donation to prostate cancer, we need yeah, to do something about it. And that, yeah. that's how November started. And, and it grew and it grew to Canada. You know, it's been... And I don't know what the number is today, but at one point they'd raised 436 million wow. euros or pounds uh, for men's health issues, so prostate cancer, testicular cancer, men's mental health and physical inactivity. And what I love about it is that it's still to this day the most simple idea. Yeah. You, yeah. you sign up at Movember.com and then on November 1st, you shave off your beard, your moustache, everything. And you, you grow said November 1st, is that the official? November 1st, yeah, yeah I'm still in that, I'm still in that, yeah, November 1st, and November 1st, right? It's funny how it just all comes back to me. <laughs> and you grow more for 30 days and yeah. you raise funds and awareness. Yeah. Um, now you can actually get involved without having to grow a moustache, I believe, if you, if you organize a sport. But really, the, the core of it is still that kind mm. of fun. It's, you know, it's, it's, and it's funny because it's become one of my mantras now for anything I do in life. It's having fun doing good. Mm. Yeah. Like, if I need to be doing good, I need to be having fun. And that's what November did. Yeah, nice. Do you think, is it, um, is it still as successful now as it was a few years ago? Because obviously now people just yeah. have moustaches for just... For you know, yeah, because they look good, right? Like, yeah. So than... I, so I, I'll be honest. I don't know what the internal numbers mm. are because I, I left four years ago, so I have yeah. no idea about the financial impact they're having. But what I do know is that, yeah, it's still as relevant as ever. People are still in need of talking about their mental health and conversations. Uh, it's still the world's largest men's focused charity. Um, you know, the moustache thing. What was interesting is that I think the moustache thing took a bit of a dip. Then it's a bit that nostalgia comes back. Some people come back mm, and grow. Yeah. But I think more importantly, people just want to get involved in some way to feel a bit of a positive impact. Yeah. And women get involved. They don't grow moustaches. Well, some you know can if they want to, but they <laughs> don't have to. Um, and and they've really in integrated this uh, idea of move, which was a concept we we launched back in 2014, I think, when I was still there. This idea that actually you can commit to exercising a certain amount during the month, a pledge mm. of like I'm going to walk. I don't know, 30 miles over the next 30 days, I'm going to run X amount, I'm going to do this X amount, and you raise funds that way as well. And nice. they take part in London Marathon, and they've got like year-round projects and programs. Um, I still think it's, you know, and I'm very biased, because I still think it's one of the coolest charities in the world. Like, just their branding mm, is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so uncharity. I know it sounds weird to say that, but it's, 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 that's what, it, that's why I joined. That's why I became a fundraiser in 2010, 10 years ago. Yeah, wow. Right. Um, because it spoke to me as a young man 
It wasn't like fear tactics and guilt trips. It was aspirational cool dudes with their dads with big mo's mm. trying to make an impact. You know, it's like Rome proud. Um, it's uh, mustache season is open. It was all yeah. this kind of funny <laughs> Aussie, you know, kind of. And but yeah. Trav Garone, who's who's the original co-founder and the creative director behind everything, is a genius. And all the stuff he came out with and his team and uh, Urchin mm. back in the day was was really like it was a game changer. I mean, the stuff they've been involved with rugby, football, Formula One. The impact it's had, it, yeah, it blows my mind. It's, so it's, one of the amazing things about it as an idea is that the education piece to it yeah. around prostate cancer, yeah. like so the people who need to hear that are also exactly the same kind of demographic who would find growing a moustache fun. So yes. you kind of get two things yeah. happening at the same time. And it's so easy for anyone doing that yeah. to just... Like it's an it's an idea that goes viral yeah. without needing social media or anything yeah. else, just by people talking about it. Have you ever grown a moustache? Oh. Uh, never have. Although I sometimes, if I'm not doing like big meetings, and this you know this isn't this yeah. is flashy to you, I'll I'll grow um, a beard. Yeah, I appreciate that. For uh, people who can't see, it's got a lovely two, three face, weeks same time. Face. And then yeah. if I've got something important to do, then yeah. I shave. And I shave this morning. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, so here's my challenge but, uh, to you. If you've never grown a moustache, grow a moustache in November and no, but this watch is what I the do. people it's, asking you, yeah, right, why okay, are you growing a moustache? Yeah. This is what I do. If I leave the three weeks of growth, yeah. right, I often shave everything else and just yeah. leave the moustache just for like an hour just yeah. to sort of like <laughs> sort of piss about in the house yeah, and yeah, just yeah. sort of laugh at people, you know, and then and then I shave the moustache off as well. Got it. I've never... Well, here's my chance to do it for 30 days. Go out in public. Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you what, it's an amazing conversation starter. And they used to call it the nod. When mm, you're in the street right, yeah, and you yeah. see another guy with a mo, you nod because you know when it's some of them. It's like the Beatles car drivers, right? It's yeah, like, yep, that's right. Doing, yeah, yeah, the Harleys, right? Yeah. It's uh, there's a really like I've struck up so many conversations um, on tubes and in random places. Like one of my favorite uh, memories. It's funny this has just come back. We're in Belgium. We've just finished one. We used to call them tours when we used to go around Europe and do all these events. And we're kind of broken. We've been on the road for a while. We're at Brussels. Uh, I think it was train station or airport a few of my colleagues and I, and we see this guy walking. And I'm like, do you guys think it's a moustache? And like, <laughs> he looks at us, we look back at him, and we all nod, and he nods back. <laughs> like, thumbs up. And it's like a beautiful moment, you know? You don't need words to kind Love of describe it. that. Um, and it. it's a simple idea. And I, it's, you know, I always go back to people who do really successful mm. and impactful. It's simple. Yeah. It's simple, yeah. simple. That's it. I mean, grow a moustache, raise funds and awareness for prostate cancer. Nice. That's how it started. Um, you said uh, near the beginning, so this is going to be my final question yeah. to you. Uh, that you made a little throwaway comment around, you know, people are having uh, entrepreneurial success or whatever that looks yeah. like and whatever that means. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to bring that back mm. as the final question. Mm. And, you know, as someone who, you know, you've worked in the corporate space, you've worked in the not for profit world, mm. you're doing your own thing, mm. you've interviewed a lot of people through your own podcast yeah um what would you break down success to be oh. <laughs> i knew that you was knew coming, that was coming right? i knew it was coming um wow you know it's a weird one because i think it changes it changes and and one of them for example like this morning if you ask me now what a success means it means if i died right now if this was my final hour that i can go i'm at peace mm. i've said yeah. i've said i love you to the people i needed to I've, I've, I've made the people I needed to feel seen, heard, and loved, and I'm at peace with that. I think that is true success. 
that, that I know that you come now on my deathbed, may it be in many, many moons, may, mm. may it be as old as I can get, that I can, I can really look back and say, I made, I, I got it right. Like I, made, I put my time and energy into the right people, into the right, I think that for me is success, mm. which is, it's, it's easy for me to say this now, being reflective, I get caught up into the real silliness of I need to make more money, I need to have more followers, I need to have more success, I need to have more, you know, get caught up in all of that. Yeah. But yesterday's news of Kobe Ryan really hit me because now I'm a dad of, you know, a daughter and a son. Mm. And in a, in a city this morning, I dropped off my daughter and I wanted to get this room for us today. So I wanted to be make sure I got here early. And I dropped off my daughter and she's, she wasn't feeling that well. Um, and she was quite more clingy than usual. And I'm just kind of going, oh, I could, could go and see you know, your mates. And I sit her down and, and she starts crying. And, and, and what I would normally do and what I wish I'd done, if I could go back now, what I wish I'd done is stay there. Mm. And stay long, in what, however long it needed that I could go, daddy's here, it's good, have your breakfast, want you some porridge, want some weed to make, cool, you know, sit with her, chill, Till she's good and then go. But instead what I did is I kissed her on the forehead and kind of made a run for the door while she's running back towards me crying. And that's the last thing I see. Yeah, right. As I go, and I felt, and I still even now just talking about it, felt like I failed. That's huh. where I went wrong. That's where success, my definition of success there wasn't, was thwarted. And I sh what, I sh what I wish I'd done was stop. And I think that, that's success. Nice. That, yeah, that's powerful. Mm. I really like that. Mm. Um, how can people find out about what you do, connect with you, just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sort of the, so my website's markleroost, M-A-R-K-L-E-R-U-S-T-E.com. That's the website. That's probably where you can find all the information. There's a, if, if, if anything I said even sounded half as not boring as what you would hmm. expect it to be, there's a documentary by Richard DaCosta who did on one of my builds up to my talk called Fueled by Purpose. You can find it on the website. It's had people cry. It's had hmm. like amazing kind of reviews. Nice. I'm really excited about that project. I haven't really promoted it yet. Um, and then Instagram is kind of where I hang out at Mark Roos and LinkedIn. Um, yeah, and just drop me a drop me a, a message, but just don't ask me to do your video CV for you. And <laughs> <laughs> um, what's nice is that I know you're leaving here to go back to the family, so yeah. you get to. Uh, live that definition of yeah. success and put that thing right. That's true. So, uh, great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank so, you so it's much. been such an honor and, and so good to be uh, hanging out with you for this for this hour. Really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Mark. So thanks again to Mark for being on the show. And I just want to finish by saying I hope you're well in your world, whatever that means. I'm always really conscious when... I'm recording these intros and outros. A lot of people listen to this on their commute. You're probably not doing that right now. And, um, you know, I just think life has sort of changed in such a lot of ways. I saw a really funny thing my sister was sharing on WhatsApp yesterday, which is like the new Ofsted signs. And instead of saying outstanding, it says struggling along or piss poor or whatever. You know, we've all sort of become homeschoolers and teachers and, and all these other things that were not what we'd ordered for 2020. So I just hope you're well in your world. I've had a few friends who've contracted Corona and have come out of the other side. Uh, and yeah, just keeping my fingers crossed uh, for everyone in my family and keeping it, my fingers crossed for everyone in your family and you and yours. So hope everything's okay. Um, and yeah, thanks also to Mark Stebman, my producer on the show. 
Uh, as I mentioned before, thinkproductive.com if you want to find out about productivity training. We do a lot of stuff on Zoom and uh, we can really help you through this time. Thinkproductive.com forward slash WFH if you want to find out more about the working from home resources. And I'd love you to check out the new graymalcott.com and on that site there's a, a contact page so you can let me know what you think of the site and what's missing, what else needs to be on there. Brand new, one of those uh, little COVID projects. We have we were actually working on it um, before or we kind of had the idea before, but um, brand new site just launched last week. Let me know what you think. We'll be back. We're actually going to be back next week. We're going to do one next week, which I've just recorded, um, and it's with Luai Al-Rumani, who was basically the head of planning for one of the major banks in Syria during the war there. And he has just written this book called Lessons from a War Zone, How to Be a Resilient Leader in Times of Crisis. And it was like, he might be a good person to speak to right now. So we we recorded that one yesterday. We'll put that out um, this time next week. Um, So stay tuned for next week's episode with Luai. It's um, it's fascinating. And the book is incredible as well. So um, yeah, look forward to that one for next week. And uh, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, um, probably somewhere in your house or in your garden. uh, Yeah, just I hope you stay well. Take care and I'll see you next week. Bye.